You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Hello and welcome to The Way Home Podcast. This is Dan Darling, your host, and I'm so glad that you're joining me today. I am excited about the guest that is going to join us in a few minutes. But before I do, we go to that conversation, I want to again remind you about my book, Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and How to Love as Jesus Loves. It's available. You can order it at any of your favorite retailers. I encourage you to order it uh, during this sort of release window so that it just lets publishers know that there's excitement about it. This is a very personal book. I talk about some of the hurts I've experienced, some of my betrayals. I talk about church hurt. What's it like to, to grow up and to be hurt by Christians? And yet I, I, I talk about why I'm hopeful for the evangelical church, hopeful for the American church, why I love the church so much. We discuss in here, what are the issues that we should be fighting for? And what are the areas where we may disagree, but should be open-handed with other brothers and sisters in Christ? I think you'll like this book, whether you're a Christian leader, whether you're just uh, a lay person in the church, whatever your role is, I really want to encourage you to get this. The foreword is written by J.D. Greer from Summit Church, a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So urge you to get Agents of Grace. Okay. I'm excited to join a conversation with uh, Mason King, who is one of the pastors at the Village Church here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Mason is just a really gifted speaker, leader, and pastor. And grown up here in Texas and has served the church. He has a new book out called A Short Guide to Spiritual Disciplines. I I love this book because it really helps ordinary Christians, everyday folks, really answer what does it look like to follow Jesus? I think there's sometimes people think of spiritual disciplines, they think of discipleship as this heavy, complicated thing. And look, I, I think the scripture does call us to intentional study, intentional practices, to intentional rhythms to shape us. But uh, a lot of times that can be intimidating. We think, well, what do, do I have to have a master's degree to do, to do all this? And this book is really helpful, written from a pastor's heart. Uh, I think you'll love this conversation. So let's join our conversation here with Mason King. I'm glad to have Mason King here on the Way Home Podcast. Mason, thanks for joining me today. I'm so glad yeah, thanks to, for having me. to talk to you. So I want to talk to you about your new book. It's a short guide, a short guide to spiritual disciplines, how to become a healthy Christian. But before we do that, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how long have you been in ministry and kind of your call to to being a pastor? Uh, is this something that you always felt growing up? Is it something that late in life you felt a call to ministry? Kind of how does, tell me a little bit sure. about your journey. Yeah. I uh, actually was born and raised not too far from where you are right now. I'm a Fort Worth kid and ah. uh, grew up at Travis Avenue Baptist and was kind of the consummate youth group kid. And then about, I guess, senior year of high school, was visiting with one of the pastor emeritus of Travis, James Coggin, mm. Jim Coggin. We were visiting about ministry and he said, hey, I really think you should consider this. And my youth minister had been a big influence in my life. And so I said, okay, something I'll look at. And 
it was, uh, I thought I'll go be a speech communications major. Cause if you're going to talk to people, you should learn how to talk to people. And I always joke now, yeah. I'm like that man, that would have, would have been a great minor, but that's what I majored in. And I loved it, loved my time at A&M kind of working through things. But it was probably junior year of A&M where I had an underclassman friend of mine say, hey, would you lead a Bible study for some friends of mine? And I said, sure. And so for two years, I kind of wrote a curriculum and then walked with these six guys. And I think I majored in that my last two years of time at A&M, like probably more than class. It was learning, reading, and then walking with each of these guys each week. And so literally like we would take, I'd spend about an hour with every, every, all seven of them individually shepherding, learning, growing. And I thought, I want to do this with the rest of my life. And so my senior year of college, my dad and I had a few conversations and I sent letters out to uh, seven guys who were in their fifties and sixties and said, Hey, I'm 23. I would love if you would help me with a few things. I'd like to know who your heroes are, what habits have sustained you and what you tell me at 23 uh, for the next 30, 40 years of my life. And mm. had a bunch of great conversations working through that. But to a man, they all said, I'd get really hard jobs because if you're going to pastor people, you need to know what it is to not like your job. And because mm. you will you will care for people who don't like their jobs and they have no other option. And then I would travel as much as possible. And when I come back, I would treat school like a job. And... I took all that advice and did all those things and then came back and enrolled in seminary and started volunteering at a Dallas campus of the village. Got connected with some friends there and I've been, I think I've had nine jobs in 13 years at the church, worked at three of our campuses and just kind of rolled every time an opportunity came and I've been here. Yeah, that that's awesome. That A&M culture, there's something about that. A lot of, I know a lot of friends who either became Christians while at AM or just called a ministry there through, you know, breakaway or other things. Just amazing minute. There's something in the in the water there at AM, it seems like. Yeah, it's it was a, a formative time. It was probably one of the first times in life where I thought, these are my people. Like these mm-hmm. are my brothers. And I really appreciated it. Yeah. So are you when it comes to being Aggie, are you hardcore? Are you 90%er? Or are you 10%er? Uh, I'm probably more on the 10% side. And that I, when I say that it is, I love my time there. Almost every game during my last few years, we lost in the fourth quarter. And so I was the (laughs) one that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to the house and I'm going to get the barbecue started. We lived close enough where I could hear the game from my backyard. And so I knew what was going on. I knew which direction it was headed and I could go ahead and get the grill lit up. That's amazing. Well, you know, most Aggies I run into are super hardcore and uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. But I really am excited about this book that you wrote, uh, Short Guide to Spiritual Disciplines, How to Become a Healthy Christian. You know, I think when people think about spiritual disciplines, sometimes there's a kind of intimidation factor, I think, you know, maybe mm-hmm. even for folks who did not grow up in the church or even if you did grow up in the church and you think how can I do all this? I'm always falling short. You know, what is it, what does discipleship look like? You know, is it a system? Is it, you know, me getting up with my quiet time in the morning and just feeling this sort of warm and fuzzy feeling after I drink my coffee? Like, what is sure. it? So I'm, I'm so glad that you put together something that really walks people through. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be intentional about our spiritual lives? So uh, is that sort of what, gave birth to this book that as a pastor, just kind of all the questions people have for you when they're thinking about this? Yeah. 
I've had lots of conversations in my time here walking with people of like, how do I know I'm doing what God wants me to do? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I know who he wants me to be? What is his will for my life? And when it comes to disciplines, people think, well, yeah, I know what I should do. I just, I'm not working hard enough. I must be lazy or God is frustrated with me because I haven't done my quiet time underneath the tree every day. And mm-hmm. so I tried to set the book up in a way where I spend the first third of the book really talking about the things we believe about God and then what God believes about us mm-hmm. and how those things and that disconnect often is not what this, the Bible says. And so there's many times where we are projecting onto God what we think he thinks of us instead of mm-hmm. what he says he thinks about us. And that's really hard because that comes through in our relationships with our family of origin, with people growing up, with wounds that we have. We'll project those things onto God, and then we'll put burdens on ourselves that God doesn't put on us. And we'll put uh, prerequisites on life with him that he doesn't put. And so it's more about his generosity towards us and his invitation to us to move forward in grace. And we make it about what we have or have not done. And so when salvation comes to us by grace through faith and the invitation is, hey, come and be filled, come and be changed, mm-hmm. we tend to put our, put more shame on ourselves and have more distrust in who God is. And so I, uh, I wanted to be able to address those questions head on and then really try and paint the invitation of one into life and into joy and one of incremental change throughout life instead of let me reach perfection in six months uh, because it's what we all expect. We'll be right back with our guests, but right now I'd like you to listen to a sample chapter of my book, Agents of Grace. I'm writing to say that God is still at work in the world and to say that Christian love and spiritual unity are still worth pursuing. While I've been hurt by Christians, I've also been immensely blessed by Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ have been there for me in my pain. Single mothers who made meals when my wife endured a serious illness. Small group leaders who gave me money when I was suddenly unemployed and scared. A pastor who called and preached the word of God to me when I was in despair. I've been blessed by wise matriarchs with arthritic knees who called on spiritual fire from heaven on my behalf when I was weak. I've been healed by friends who left everything and came to my side when I needed hope. Thank you for listening to the sample chapter of Agents of Grace. As a reminder, you can get this book anywhere books are sold. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com, for more information. But for now, let's rejoin our conversation on the Way Home Podcast. I really like that approach. You say the spiritual discipline life is more than a checklist. It's a whole life offered to God. I think sometimes there's a tension, Mason, between, and there always just sort of has been throughout church history, but we're saved by grace. But the walk with Christ, you know, if you read the New Testament, does take some intentionality. You know, spiritual oh, yeah. growth doesn't happen by osmosis. Right. And yet there's there can be a kind of legalism that we put on ourselves too, where we, we, we never feel like we measure up. We never feel like we're doing enough. So discuss, maybe talk about that tension people face, that, that Christians think through, you know, like it, it is a work. I mean, I can't just sit here and not do anything, but it's the work of the spirit in me. That's right. I mean, if you are united to Christ and the Holy spirit lives in you, you read the new Testament and look at all the imperatives. Mm -hmm. And there are these action verbs that say, do this, put off this, walk this way, add this to your faith, grow in these things. And if you do so, you will, you will be kept from stumbling. And so there's Mm -hmm. this active call for the Christian to grow into the image of Christ. 
But that's not done on our own terms, because if we look and see the New Testament and what we know about humanity, we wouldn't want that or couldn't do that by ourselves. And so it is the Spirit working in and through us, which is both a mystery and I think is, gosh, we overcomplicate it. Like the, if we have a desire to know more of Jesus and we want to read our Bible and we want to be different than we are, I count that as a grace. And I say, that's the spirit working in me. I need to give myself to that. Now, if we think about disciplines and putting effort into a relationship, every other relationship in my life takes effort, every single one. Mm-hmm. And if I think that every relationship in my life takes effort, but my relationship with God I don't like, I know how I can get there mentally, but experientially, it does not function that way. Like, if that happens, then I am the sluggard. I am the one not putting an effort to say, I will discipline my time, my attention, my heart, and my emotions to be near the one that I know is best for me. But every other faithful relationship in life, you do that for. I do that for my wife. I do that for my children and my friends. And so, putting that in the space where to know that it's not shame-based with God, but it's invitational into life and into the love that we need, I think is a, is a good paradigm shift for us because we can at times think, oh, well, yeah, well, my, my friends know that it takes effort for us to be friends, so I'm going to put in effort. But with God, it should just be easy because he's God. And he has brought us to himself, but because of where we are and because of the impact and the effect and the presence of sin in our lives, it is an active putting off and warfare uh, on our part to live into his way of life. Mm, I love that. I mean, when you look at someone who is godly or like someone who may be a few miles ahead of you, who walks with the Lord, not perfect, but you know, tends to the marriage, tends to the relationships, all those things is full of wisdom. You know, I always think to myself that that didn't just happen. You know, there was some right. intentionality on their part all along the way to get to that place. And when I read the New Testament, you know, Paul and the others seem to imply an intentionality, right? They seem to say uh-huh. there's a lot of action verbs, you know, in the in the New Testament. Paul even at the end of his life before he's about to be executed saying, "How bring my books, you know, I still have more learning to do, more more to grow." So there does seem intentionality. One thing I I do love that you said and I think it's important is um you know, I think of what Eugene Peterson says about a long obedience in a straight line, mm-hmm. you know, that you, you can't microwave growth, but it's it's a sort yeah. of these practices over a lifetime. Talk about that, that there's, you know, there's really not instant growth towards Christlikeness, but it's it's a life dedicated to doing that. Yeah. If your listener sees the book, the front of the book has a tree on it that's in the mm-hmm. middle of a river. And so it's the image from yeah. Psalm 1, and I've included a text from Jonathan Edwards, the short sermon about how Christ is the river of God's love. And is if the believer is a tree, Christ is the river for that tree. Mm. And so the whole call is plant yourself by the river of God's love because you are, a, one author says that you are an ongoing process of change until the day you die. And you can be changing for good or ill. And if you take Peterson's Peterson's words there, like long obedience in the same direction, you know that the measure of growth you have over life is what God knows and sees and is wanting for you. But it's going to take decades. And so my encouragement in in the work has been, hey, stop thinking in in six-month increments and start to think in decades. 
Mm. And when you talk with when you talk with individuals who are in their seventies and eighties, they're going, "Hey, man, my favorite decade was my sixties or my seventies because I finally mm. learned that the Lord is the Lord is gracious to me, and there's stuff I need to be worried about, and stuff I need not be worried about that my twenties mm. and thirties and forties was eaten up with." And so, looking at that and thinking, "Man, but the trajectory of my life with a long horizon of faithfulness means." No matter where I'm starting, if I'm thinking about the twenty, the next twenty or thirty years, what's the, what are the steps I can set to look up in thirty years and think, God, how gracious you were, that my life is now different, and mm-hmm. we can just give ourselves to that, and I think that is uh, very difficult for our culture to embrace when we want to learn a new skill, think we have access to information, so we should therefore know it perfectly, and we want to microwave everything, but anything worth doing takes effort and time and becoming a person, which is the great work of our life to become more like Jesus will take our whole life. And so we can't look around and think, I want to be like that guy when I'm 39 and he's 80, but age itself doesn't equal wisdom. It is, as you said, the repeated giving of oneself to God's way of life over a long period of time. Mm. That's really good. I mean, I, I think of the verse in First John too that says, "You know, it does not yet appear what we shall be, for we shall be like him." Yeah. So, mm-hmm. to me, that's an encouragement that even a, it, it, it's, as, far, as much as we grow in this life, the most sanctified person, we're still not even close to what we will be when you know on the other side of eternity that Christ has more that's work right. to do in us. Right? That's right. So. Even at the end of a long life and you think, man, there's so much place to go. There's so so much work to do on my life that it's it's almost an eternal process, right, of, of, of Christ yeah. uh, sanctifying us. Well, I'm, I'm uh, thankful for this. I mean, one of the things I think is so important that you point out is just the sort of the way we grow that I, you know, I, I, th- I could think of maybe half a dozen really big moments, sermons, conferences, camp meetings that really were impactful in my life. But mm-hmm. really it's it's every Sunday in church here in preaching, every yeah. every day reading your Bible, here a little, there a little, that over a lifetime produces godliness, right? Right. You know, and I think of um, Jamie Smith's book, uh, You Are What You Love, where he talks about kind of the, the way we're formed by our habits. And I'd love for you to talk about that, that, you know, we're in, in some way, and you kind of alluded to it before, we're, we're sort of being formed and shaped and discipled and catechized, however, whatever terms you want to use. The question yeah. is, what are we allowing to shape us, right? Oh, yeah. And it, within the book, I talk about three dimensions of life, about our attention, our emotions, and our limits. And mm. in thinking about, you know, uh, from Augustine to... Aquinas to Edwards to Smith, it's you are what you love and you'll be drawn towards what you have affection for. And so I think, man, we're, we're intensely emotional creatures and we want comfort. We want pleasure. We want delight. And so we'll go to the things that reward that reward us with that the most quickly. And what's hard in our age right now is that, I mean, that's my iPhone. That's the billions of dollars spent on the dopamine circuits to where I can scroll through Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever, and feel pleasure and reward quickly. That takes, it takes no effort on my account. But if I actually want to become a person and have the reward of character, 
that takes a lot of effort and it's often delayed mm. gratification. And so having to delay the instant gratification and let there be a richer sense of reward and density or thickness of life takes hope and belief. And so as a Christian, if knowing like, hey, my hope is to be with Christ and have delight in him and have eternal life. And if that eternal life is of a better quality than the buzz I get from my phone, then I've got to, I've got to treasure that more. And that's going to shape my habits and how I work through things. And so often the time, like the conversations I have with people so often are, hey, how long can you go without touching your phone? Mm. And like, it's even if you forget your phone, you, you turn around and go get it, or you have that phantom buzz and you're like, oh, I've got my phone in my pocket. And we all experience that. Or if you're at a stoplight and all of a sudden you get honked at because you've zoned in, not on driving the car, but on your phone. We're so mm. distracted. But the, the formative nature of these things with our attention is that it it shapes us to want the instant feedback and the instant gratification, and it shapes us away from uh, the difficulty of reading a hard text or trying to labor through something that takes work and effort because learning is a habit. I mean, your intellect is one of the greatest gifts you've been given and your attention is the most precious commodity you have. Like it's the most expensive and has the highest price tag on it from the world. And we need to learn to steward it better. And so I talk about that mm -hmm. within the book of the habit of your attention will shape who you're becoming. And I think that falls right in line with, um, and what you love is where your eyes are going to go. When I learned how to ski, they said, hey, your feet will go. They'll follow your eyes. And mm. so whether it's French fries or pizza and how you're putting your skis, like you're going to go where your eyes are. And I think that's where our heart goes. And so I've been trying to help people think through that when it comes to their uh, attentive habits. Mm. I really like that. And, you know, it's interesting, Mason, is that people who, who really love the Lord, who really have a rich spiritual life, I noticed that they don't really see those practices as a, as a kind of um, drudgery. I mean, they, they are committed yeah. to them, but it, almost, as you say, an invitation into something better. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we discipline ourselves to read our Bibles and go to church and all those, but then those disciplines become a joy, don't they? They do. And that's part of the, you know, Dallas Willard says that a spiritual discipline is something that enables you to do something in the future that you can't readily do right now. So if you take that in any other aspect of life, if you want to be able to do uh, um, run a marathon, well, you've got to start somewhere. And so you need to get out there and start sweating and struggling and have a side cramp as you just jog for a mile. But after a while, the repetitive nature of that gets you into a shape that you can run just a 5K or a 10K or a marathon. But what happens along the way is you begin to love the thing for the, for the thing. And mm. so if it's, if I'm struggling to read, if I'm struggling to pray, I give myself to that discipline, to that habit. And over a period of time, my heart actually begins to go, there is good here for me. I know this path. I know this route. There's good here for me. I want to find it. And over a period of time, our loves change. And I've seen that in my own life uh, across a spectrum of things. And that's kind of the beauty of discipline. Like discipline in your life, uh, it flows downhill. Like if you can find discipline in one area, it will, it will go into other areas because it reminds you that you can do things instead of just having to take the easiest route. And so when it comes into our spirit or to our life with God, uh, 
being able to push through the learning curve or the dissonance that we might feel of going, man, this feels hard. It feels dry. It's, man, there's a reward here for us, but it does take effort. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Um, I What I love about y- what you're doing with this too is for the average believer, this this is accessible and doable, right? That you don't have to be a seminary graduate to have spiritual disciplines. Yeah. You don't have to um, be someone who is sort of uh, academic or nerdy or whatever. And I think sometimes we think of Bible study that way, right? Like, oh, those are just those people that like Bible study. You sure. know, like it's for those kind of people. When really every Christian is offered the invitation to know God more through spiritual discipline. Oh, yeah. Right? So yeah. I love the fact that it's accessible, that you're you're presenting this to people, that this is something God would not ask us to, would not invite us to something that we couldn't do. Yeah, this is, I, I say often to friends in, in our classes here in the, in the Village Institute, like God is not the man behind the curtain who's trying to wait till you figure out the puzzle so that you can know him. Like he reveals himself clearly and he says, this is what I want you to know. This is who I am. And the Bible is for everyone. And so be able to say like, you can know these things. You can know how to know him. The New Testament is clear. And so inviting people into that, most of the time it is overcoming the hurdles that we put up in front of things saying, well, no, he can't be that good. He can't love me. It's got to be more difficult than that. And it's this inherent skepticism and cynicism and doubt that we have, that we have to let submit that submit to the Spirit and let Him remind us how good God is and how much He wants us to know Him. And so it, like this book is written for the layperson, and it is, hey, here's the invitation. There is joy ahead of you. Come and be shaped into a certain type of person by following these ways. And I didn't want to be too prescriptive because I know that things can change different seasons of life, but to say, here's the overall uh, framework of how this should go. Mm, that's really good. Well, I want to encourage folks to get this book. It's called A Short Guide to Spiritual Disciplines, How to Become a Healthy Christian. And man, this would be a great book for churches to just buy in bulk and, and give to people great help for your spiritual life, whether you are a new believer or you've been walking with God for a long time. Uh, Mason King, thank you for this book. And really thank you for your work at Village Church and Village Institute and your leadership and just love what God is doing through you there. And thanks for joining me today. Thanks, brother. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at dandarling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Podcast.